someone asked me the other day, said, you do a lot of funerals, don't you? Yeah, I do. I do find myself in a position where I do a, a lot of, of funerals. Very often at a funeral, I will be asked to read the obituary of the person who has passed. And uh, that's always a little, always a little apprehensive about that. It's a little uncomfortable, it's a little awkward. First of all, some people have names that are really hard to pronounce, and you don't want to mispronounce someone's name when you're reading an obituary. That's just, that's just bad. And sometimes while I'm reading, I'll skip a line. I don't want to skip any. I don't want to leave anybody out. I want to make sure I get it just right. But, but the, the most awkward part for me is I'm standing there reading the obituary and looking at the, the family as they're, as they're down there. Very often as I read the obituary, they will say that they'll give the date of when that person was married, uh, date of their wedding, and then it will mention the name of the spouse. And the words that follow very often are, she survives. And that's just one of the saddest moments for me. Because my thought is, is that all that we can say? That she survives or he survives? Is that it? That they just somehow make it? That they simply exist? That, that they just go on? And many times, very many times, I know the faith of that family. I know the faith of that person who has passed on. I know the faith of that spouse. And when I read those words, they survive, I want to stop and say, that's not it. They don't just survive, they thrive. They're doing just fine. They're, they're doing wonderful. They have incredible faith that will get them through anything. They have a hope that, that doesn't end. They know that nothing can separate them from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus their Lord, especially death. They aren't just survivors. They are thrivers. At least I hope they are. I want them to be thrivers. The problem we have is that in that moment of great difficulty, in that moment of grief, in that moment of loss, that's not the moment where we become thrivers. That's not the moment where we uh, where we begin that process of being thrivers. You become a thriver through the day in and day out living out of your faith so that when that moment comes, when that trial comes, when that incredible moment of loss comes, you don't merely survive, but you thrive in that moment. Now, if I'm speaking as a pastor, <laughs> I have to ask for you, what does thriving look like in your life? As a pastor, I would ask the question, what does thriving look like for you? Because I want you to thrive. I want you to have a faith that will see you through any difficulty, no matter what is thrown at you. I want you to be able to stand firm. As a preacher, I have to go to the Word of God. I have to go to the Bible and say, well, what does thriving look like? What standard can we measure it by? What roadblocks do we have to watch for? What can I see in Scripture that I can help you apply to your life so that you will thrive? So I've, I've been looking through the Bible. And as I've been looking and reading and praying through those questions, 
came to believe <clears throat> that the Apostle Peter was asking those kind of questions about the people to whom he wrote in his first letter, people that he loved, Christians that he ministered to. And he wrote that first letter, 1 Peter, to a group of believers who had been scattered, uh, whose lives and faith <clears throat> were in danger, in danger from troubles within as well as troubles from outside. And so Peter wrote to them to show them that they could thrive, specifically so that they could thrive in grace. So I want to begin today by actually looking at the very end of 1 Peter, at the, one of the very last verses. So if you turn in, in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 12. And if you want to use those Bibles that we have in the pews, we encourage you to follow along. In those Bibles, it is page 1017. You will find 1 Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> and I want to just look at verse 12. Peter tells us that he is writing this along with Silvanus. Well, who's Silvanus? Silvanus is another name for Silas. So he is someone that we're familiar with if we've read Acts and seen the events there. So he says in verse 12, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Peter sums up the whole reason that he has written this letter. It's as if he said, if you've napped through the rest, if you've missed the point, here it is. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm. If you know construction, and some of you do know construction, stand firm is your foundation. It is the foundation that you lay and you, you place it deep in the earth so that no matter what happens, no matter what calamity might come, the house remains unshaken, the house remains undamaged. It is on a firm foundation. If you've ever had to testify in court, Maybe some of you have had to do that. Stand firm is the story that you tell. It is what you have witnessed. It is what you know to be true. And your story doesn't change. Your story doesn't, isn't altered based on circumstances. Your story is firm. It is the truth. And as long as you continue to stand on that foundation, you will be safe. You'll be unharmed. And you'll be ready for anything that might come your way. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. I think the problem is that Christians, let's just say in America, but it's all over the place, but Christians in America today have been sold an illegitimate version of grace. We've been sold a version of grace that doesn't require you to stand. We've been sold a version of grace that simply lets you lay there and, and not do anything, not have to stand any, on anything. Just lay there and, and wallow in your sin kind of grace, claiming it doesn't matter what I do, it doesn't matter how hard I try, it doesn't matter if I fail. God always loves me. God loves me. He's always going to love me. He's always going to forgive me. So rather than standing firm in grace, we, we lounge in grace. And we say things like, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. 
And then we proceed to live in such a way as to prove that. Can that kind of grace save you? Can that grace save you? Well, honestly, maybe. Maybe. But that's not the point. And that's not Peter's point. The point is, there's a whole lot of life that happens between here and heaven. There's a whole lot of life that happens between where you are now and when you finally meet your maker. There's going to be a whole lot of troubles. There's going to be a whole lot of difficulties, a whole lot of tests, a whole lot of trials, a whole lot of stuff that you're going to have to go through. And grace that doesn't require you to stand, grace that does nothing but, nothing but keep you out of hell, is not going to do anything for the problems that you face here. It's not going to do anything for the problems that you're facing now. For the conflicts that I experience in my heart, the conflicts that I experience in my home, in my community, in my world, and even in my church, that kind of grace does not allow me to thrive. And so Peter's call in this letter is for us to recognize the true grace of God and to stand firm in it by thriving uh, by, by thriving in that grace, we are able to thrive in the midst of whatever troubles come our way. When we thrive in that kind of grace, we are able to thrive in the midst of our troubles. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. We read that, and one of the questions we have to ask is, what this? What is the this that he's talking about? This is a very specific kind of grace that he's talking about. What is the this? Well, in general, he's talking about the whole letter. The whole letter is a testimony to God's grace, to the power of God to enable you to thrive no matter what comes your way. But specifically, we have to just look back a couple of verses. If you go back just to chapter 5, verse 10, you see a statement that Peter makes there in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And he says, And after you have suffered a little while. <laughs> that doesn't sound optional, does it? After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. <laughs> to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. You look at those promises, those four verbs that he ends that verse 10 with, those four promises there of what God will do for us after we've suffered, after we've gone through some trials, after we've gone through some tribulations, what's going to happen? He says, God will restore you. By restore, he means God will make you complete. It also can mean God will put your life in order. Does anyone have a disorderly life that they would like put in order? Don't even have to raise your hand there. You know, I know you guys well enough. So restore sounds like a good idea. It says God will confirm you, and that means that God will make you strong so that you can stand up under any kind of problem, any kind of difficulty. Anyone need that? Okay. And then he says God will strengthen you, and this is actually a different kind of strong. And for those of you who go to my Sunday school class, let me just tell you, this is a hopox legomenon. Now, majority of you didn't get that, but my Sunday school class, they're all going, oh, 
That means it's the only time this word occurs in the New Testament. This is the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament. This is a special kind of, of strengthening. It actually means that God is going to make you capable. It means that God is going to make you confident so that when those trials come, when those problems come, after you've gone through several of them, you're going to be confident that, that you're not going to be shaken, that you will be able to stand firm. And then he says to establish you, and that is to put you on top of that firm foundation, to put that firm foundation under you. And it's not just about you. It's about him doing that to you. It's about him placing you in that spot. So, so let me ask, those four verbs, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish, do those sound like lounging? Do those sound like you just kind of lay there in God's grace and say, eh, it doesn't matter how hard I try. It doesn't matter if I try. I'm still forgiven. I still get to go to heaven. Does it sound like God wants you wallowing in your sin and wallowing in the misery of your life as it is now? No, he wants you up on your feet. He wants you standing firm. Real grace, true grace, does not allow you to lounge in the failure and the sin of who you are now. Real grace gets you up on your feet, standing firm, and moving forward in the image of Jesus Christ. We need to hear that. That's why Peter wrote to these believers. Now, who were these people that, that Peter wrote to? Who, who was this group of believers? Well, if you turn back to the first chapter of 1 Peter... Go all the way back to chapter 1 and look at the first verse, and that's on page 1014, if you're using those Bibles. Peter introduces himself. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then he addresses his readers, and he says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and those are the places that these people were, were living, where they were reading his letter. Peter describes them as exiles. And that had a very specific meaning to those readers. In fact, it continues to have a specific meaning to us, although we may not fully understand what it, what it means. Exiles. That means you're not from here. That means you're not one of us. That means you don't speak the same language as the people in the area where you live. You don't speak the same language. You don't have the same culture. You don't belong here. You don't have any rights if you're in exile. You don't have any rights here. And if they're taking a vote on how we're going to do things, if you're in exile, you don't get a vote. You don't speak the same language. You don't have the same culture. You don't belong in this world. Jesus said in John chapter 18, verse 36, he said, my kingdom is not of this world, which means if you're a part of his kingdom, that you are not of this world. And, and we feel that tension. I think maybe we feel that tension more today than at almost any other point in history, save the first century when Peter wrote this. We feel that tension. Society's moral, society's ethics, more and more, they do not reflect what we believe. They don't reflect what, what we read of in, in Scripture and how the Christian ought to live. They don't reflect a, a Christian worldview. And, and when we express our beliefs in public, 
When we tell people what we think and what we believe, we're told that no one believes that anymore. You're out of touch. We're made to feel like we're outcasts, like we're out of touch, like we're uninformed. We're made to feel like we don't belong here. How can we thrive in that? So I've read this letter over and over again. And I've been praying and praying as I read. And I see Peter's call for us to thrive in God's grace and to to thrive in the midst of our troubles. And it seems to me that the only way that happens for us is if we thrive in Christ. In fact, that's, that's where Peter takes us from the very beginning of this letter. If you look on in verses 3 and 4, 3 through 5 actually, Peter begins his letter and he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. Every hope that we have, every promise that we have, is centered on who Jesus Christ is. It is centered on His resurrection. And just as we are called to stand firm in grace, we are called to stand firm in a hope uh, that is firm. He, goes, he says there in verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And while that's great, it's very easy to say, yeah, but that's in heaven. You know, that's pie-in-the-sky stuff. You know, that's, that's in heaven. What about now? What about, what about the mess that I'm in now? What about the problems that I have now? And so he goes on in verse 6. And he says, in this you rejoice, in this hope that you have stored up in heaven, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, so that the the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. In other words, life's not going to be perfect. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be trials. There's going to be testing. There's going to be fire. But you're not going to wallow in the misery of it. You're not going to let it keep you down. You are going to thrive. And again, if you remember from the very first verse, these people were exiles. And they, they were alone in their world. They were alone. And that's a tough place to be tough place to be to not feel like you belong or feel like and to feel like you don't matter like you really don't have a say in the decisions that are being made around you to feel that to feel that frustration that you don't even speak the same language I mean you guys ever felt that in this world and I think we can all slip into like a, a victim mentality if we're not careful and we could fall into this trap where we just say well no one understands me no one gets it I'm all alone, and and I don't belong in this place. I don't even belong in this time. We can get into one of those poor me little pity parties at that moment. Does that sound like thriving? Does that sound like what Peter's talking about when he talks about thriving here? And again, look at how Peter addresses them. To the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's the, the different regions that they have moved to as they have been exiled out of their homes. To the elect 
exiles of the dispersion. According, get this, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood. Are they exiles? Are they displaced? Are, do they not belong? That's correct, yes. But what else? According to the foreknowledge of God. Sometimes we get so caught up in the misery of where we are, who we are, who we aren't, that we forget this is according to the foreknowledge of God. God not only chose you for this time, God chose this time for you. And He didn't choose you to sit back and poor me. He chose you to thrive. He chose us to thrive in this community. He chose us to thrive at this time. He's chosen you for this day according to the foreknowledge of God. God knows who you are. God knows where you are. He knows the situation you're in today. He knows the pain. He knows the loneliness. He knows the difficulty. And you can trust Him to see you through it. In the sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification is a big word. We don't like to use big words around here. They confuse us. Sanctification is the process of being made holy. Now, how many of you are holy today? No? Okay. Um, but you're not who you were. Sometimes we can get lost and think, well, I'm such a mess, you know. Look at, look at what I've done. Look at who I am. I'm, I feel like a failure, but that doesn't change the fact that the Holy Spirit is at work. It doesn't change the fact of what He is creating in you for the obedience, for obedience to Jesus Christ. That's our goal that our trust in Him, that He's placed me where I am today, that He is working within me, would lead to obedience to Jesus Christ. Obedience to His Word, obedience to His, to his image in me, that I would become like Him, that I would thrive. And His final statement, honestly, it doesn't mean much to us. In fact, it sounds kind of messy. <laughs> We're sprinkling with His blood. To exiles, that was a very important statement. To people who were far from home, to people who couldn't go back to the temple anymore, people who weren't allowed to be there where the sacrifices were made. It was a wonderful and very real and tangible reminder that God had not forgotten them, that God was still working in them, that, that the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ had been applied to their lives. And they were no longer stuck in their sins. They were no longer mired in failure. They were clean. They were made holy. They were thriving. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So what does that look like? How do I determine whether or not I am standing firm in the grace of God? That's what we're going to start unpacking in 1 Peter. That's what we're going to go through over the next few weeks, several weeks, as we unpack this letter. We're going to come away not only with a clear picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, <clears throat> but that in, how in a world where we don't really belong, how we can see our faith thrive and realize that when we stand firm in God's grace, we will thrive where He has placed us. When I talk to you guys, and we sit down and talk, 
I know that there are days when you're barely surviving. I know there are very difficult days, and I know there are days when you're barely surviving, days when the grip on your faith feels so fragile, and it feels like you know it could just slip away and blow away at any moment. I want you to know what it means to thrive. I want you to know what it means to stand firm. <clears throat> I want you to know what it means to win, to have a win in your faith. Peter goes on in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, and he says, though you have not seen him, that is Jesus, though you have not seen Jesus, you guys haven't seen Jesus, right? Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I think Peter is writing to people just like you, just like me, people who struggled every day to live this life. And he doesn't tell them, just try to hang on. <laughs> just, just try to hang on. You know, it'll all probably work out. It'll, it'll all probably be fine. He doesn't tell them just to hang on. How they could maybe make it, how they might survive. He tells them that they will thrive. That thriving faith begins and ends with Jesus. That's why we come here. We sing a lot of great songs, beautiful songs, and that's wonderful. Sometimes we hear okay sermons, decent sermons. But we come here to meet Jesus. We come here to, to focus our lives on Him. We come here to stand firm on who He is. We come to the table week in and week out to remind ourselves of who it is that we stand firm upon, what His nature is and what He means to us, what He has done for us through the cross. He is that solid rock that we stand on. No matter where this past week has, has taken you, no matter what might be ahead in the week to come, I know that you can thrive in Him. I know that you can stand firm in Him. We're going to sing. I'm going to come to the table. Let's stand together.